your seats if you'll turn to and stay standing for the reading and teaching uh, for the reading of God's word Psalm 126 turn uh, with me as Frank reads over us God's word uh, Psalm 126 Amen. You may be seated. We may be blessed by the reading and teaching of God's word this morning. Getting a little hot already, Mike. You know, we've been journeying through this summer so far uh, the Psalms of Ascent. You know, these Psalms were, were sang and read out loud. Uh, of God's people as they journeyed back to Jerusalem. You, you know, Jerusalem where it was where they would go for all their, their festivals, for all uh, their, their worship services, if you will. And so along the way, they'd sing these songs over and over again as a reminder of what God had done for them and how God had restored them and how God had re- relieved them of their bondage. And so this morning we're looking at Psalm 126. It happens after the exile. And so remember in Nehemiah, we talked about Nehemiah, that the people of God had sinned against God and God brought them under uh, uh, His discipline. And part of that discipline was to send them into exile. And remember we saw King Nebuchadnezzar, he treated them poorly and he wanted everything to do to get them away from who God was. Well, here in this passage, here in this, we see the people of God had been restored or they've been let out of captivity. It's a review and a reflection of the liberty of captivity. And so as you read this passage, as we teach this passage, have that in mind. It's as if the people of God are celebrating their freedom. It's kind of, it's, it's by coincidence actually that it falls on this weekend that's what we're going to do on the 4th of july we come to celebrate our freedom is that not what we do for the 4th of july and so that's what these men and women are doing as they journey back to god to celebrate with god all that he had done for them you know the thing about their captivity and the thing that is true about our captivity uh when they were released it happened suddenly It came out of nowhere. They were in exile. They were in captivity. And all of a sudden, the hand of God moved to bring them to freedom. You think about their years and years and years of being in exile, in slavery. What a painful experience. I've heard stories and read uh, articles about men that served in war for our freedom and they got put into captivity. They got put in as prisoners of war. And that grueling process of the slavery that those men and women did for our freedom. That's the same that was happening to the people of God. And yet God in a moment took them into captivity to, to bring them to a place of utter dependence 
on him. And now in this moment, he l- releases them from captivity. And so it's this idea, this psalm is a reflection uh, about their freedom that God had given to them. This is what one writer says about it. It says, you know, from Zion, from famine or siege, captivity or plague, it has been obviously, miraculously, widely talked about. It is reminded of vivible, uh, a vivid national memory. So here the people of God are celebrating their freedom. And so we'll look at three things this morning. We'll look at the reflection. That's what we're talking about in this moment, the reflection of what God had done for them. We'll look at the request and, and then the realization what God is going to do for them, the promise that God is going to do for them. Let's look in verse 1. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who were in a dream. I don't know if you've ever uh, been in something that it happened in a moment and it's like it's a dream. Like that's what happened. The people of God have been in captivity and all of a sudden, overnight, they're released into freedom. And they wake up in freedom and they, they see that there's no guards protecting them from getting out. They see that there's no one watching over them. And they say to themselves, it's like a dream. It's like a dream. What the God had restored us, it's like a dream. And then what, he, what do they say after that? In verse 2. Then our mouths are filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. It's like in that moment when they wake up and they realize it's no longer a dream, what comes over them but joy and laughter. I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Like you think you wake up, you're looking around, it's like a dream, but then it's not really a dream. You know, I, I think of, Mike, your journey over the last six months. How oftentimes that must have seemed like a nightmare to you and Michelle. And I wonder how each time that you'd go to the doctor and the doctors would say to you, man, this is your prognosis, if it wasn't like a dream to you. Like, could this really be it? And I wonder for you as you drove home and y'all talked on the phone, you and Michelle, if it was like, man, you just began to smile and have laughter about what God was doing to you. And I think there's so many of those stories in the room this morning that, that God had done so much for you and in those moments it felt like a dream but then the reality set in that way it's not really a dream this isn't a dream this is really God's hand on my life but you see it shouldn't just be for Mike it shouldn't, shouldn't be for the miracle stories every one of us if you're a believer in here this morning ought to have that same moment it's called salvation Like, it's not a dream. Like, God and His sovereignty chose you from the beginning of time to set you free from hell. And I wonder for us, do we find joy in that? Let's turn quickly to Ephesians. This is what the writer Paul says about that moment for us. That moment that you were chosen by God to be redeemed and set free. This is what Paul says. And this is why I believe everyone, if you're a believer, ought to have joy this morning. Like no one in the room, if you're outside of Christ, you ought to have no joy. But if you're in Christ, you ought to have tons of joy. How come? This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were 
dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead. You were not alive at all. A dead man can make no decisions. Are we, can we all say amen to that? A dead man lies in a grave six feet under. There is nothing that he can do. And that's what Paul says, that Jesus says, you all, all of us in the room, were dead in our trespasses and in our sin. Which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, Circle that in your Bible. Each time it says all, everyone in the room, all of us, all of us once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Do you hear that, church? Because of your disobedience, because of my disobedience, because we are far from the Lord, we were children of wrath. That's what we all deserve in the room. God's wrath because of our disobedience. We, like all of mankind. But God, those are two of the sweetest words in all of the Bible. But God, it doesn't say, but Ronald, but Todd, but Alex, but BJ, but anyone else. It says, but God. You did this, and you were this, and you were children of wrath, but God did this. What did God do? Being rich in mercy. But God being rich in his mercy. Because of his great love, his mercy and his love. Which those, he loves us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Write that in your Bible. Highlight in that Bible. He made you alive when you were dead. There's nowhere in there that says you did anything. You cannot take any credit for your salvation. Amen? You you can take none. But God gets all the credit but God being rich in mercy and in great love while we were yet in our trespasses made us alive together in Christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him Jesus get that because of what God did for you not only did he saved you but now he seated you next to the son of God you don't serve God in the kingdom of God as a pauper you serve him as a son as a daughter of God you sit right next to him there is no kid table at Thanksgiving with God he sat you next to him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith that this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. You see, this is the same exact story of what the Israelites are celebrating. 
that in that moment, they're in captivity. They wake up and they're set free. They have no idea how they do it. They have no idea what happened. They had no part in it. They were dead. They were sleeping. And God, in a moment, woke them up and set them free. And the same is true for you, believer. So what brings you joy this morning, church? What brings you joy this morning, church? Do you have joyful reaction of your salvation? I don't care if it was a day ago, a week ago, 80 years ago. Do you have joy what God did for you that you had no part in? You were dead. And by his sovereign grace, his sovereign love, his sovereign care, he chose you and breathed life into you and you woke up out of the grave and began to walk and have life in God forevermore. Do we believe that, church? See, that's what we must reflect on this morning. Sin held us all captive. But by the grace and love and the mercy of God, you've been set free. So what the great Baptist theologian preacher Charles Spurgeon said, let our hearts greatly remember the former loving kindness of the Lord. We were sadly low, sorely distressed, and completely past hope. But when Yahweh appeared, he did not merely lift us out of despondency. He raised us up into wonderful happiness, wondering happiness. The Lord who alone turns the captives does, not, does nothing by halves. Those whom he saves from hell, he brings to heaven. He turns exile into ecstasy and banishment into bliss. What do you this morning find your joy in? Maybe for you this morning, you have been so far removed from the moment of your salvation that you can't remember. So in this very moment, I want you to think of when God entered the picture in your life. Maybe for you, you need to say what David said in Psalm 51. Restore unto me what? The joy of your salvation. Catch that word in that text. Not my salvation. Your salvation. Catch that word. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation, what you did for me. Because what will happen for us when we sit in that, then we will make the request that the psalmist makes in verse 4. So we we see that he, he comes to this place that he is reflecting on all that God has done, which moves him into a place of a request. What does he request in verse 4? He says this in verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams and the Nahib. What does that mean? That, that, that word there is the desert. So there's this stream in the desert. And if you've ever been in a desert that used to have a stream, all it is now is just a gully. And he's saying to God, hey God, restore unto us what you did in the desert. 
What did God do in the desert? He brought a flash flood. And what he's saying in this text is, God, I'm making a plea to you to bring me back to remembrance of what you did for me in a moment, church. So he's asking God in a request, God, continue to do that in my life. Continue to allow my life to be flooded with you over and over and over and over and over again. God, when I wake up today, when I wake up tomorrow, when I wake up on Tuesday, when I wake up on Wednesday, be a flash flood in my life because I need you. Because without you, I'm a parched land. I'm a desert. And what grows in the desert? Nothing. Nothing grows in the desert. And so the psalmist knows without God's intervention in my life, I'll become a desert. And if I'm a desert, then nothing will take root. If nothing takes root, then I die. That is what the psalmist is saying in this text. You see, he moves in and he says this in the next part. But there's two things that happen. There's two realizations that happen in this text. So he's asking God to do two things. God, restore my fortune. And then he says this in verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. You see, Derek Kidner points out in his book his commentary on the psalms that there's two things that must happen in our revival and there's two ways that it happens in our lives if you want true revival it's going to happen in two ways is what the psalmist is saying what uh, mr kidner has to say about this text two ways the first one it's suddenly for many of us it happened suddenly there's things that in our life happen suddenly that cannot be explained That we wake up and they just happen. That's the hand of God. 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 And that's how most of us want it to happen. Amen? Most of us want to wake up and things be different in a moment. We want to wake up and we want to be restored in our marriages. We want our kids to come to know Christ. We, We want our jobs to matter. We want them all to happen in a moment. Am I the only one? But there's a piece, there's one word in here that it doesn't always happen in a moment. What does he say? He said, like those who sow. What happens when you sow? You know, I just, I wouldn't call it sowing, I'd call it planting a, a, a tomato vine out back. I planted it months ago. And every day I go out there and I water it. And every day I go check it. And every day, man, that first flower that came on, man, I was pumped. I can't wait for a tomato. And I thought, man, there's the flower. Next week I'll have a tomato. Uh, that didn't happen. And what, what happens when you sow, what is it? it takes time. When I sow a seed into the ground, it takes time, Right? The, the little card on the, uh, the tomato plant said 90 days to maturity. I thought, man, maybe God will be extra special with me. Maybe it happened in 70 days, 60 days. He really means 90 days. 
But what else happens when they're sowing? Every time you sow a seed, it doesn't always come to fruition, does it? Every time I go, and we've done this at, at the house, we put some plants in a little planter, and uh, because I'm ignorant and dumb, I didn't water, and now the, the flowers are all dead. But part of it comes with great heartache when I sow. I don't know that's small and that's insignificant a plant, but when I went and I saw it die, there was something in my heart that said, man, And I wonder for us in the church how often we sow things and in our sowing things, they don't happen when we want them to happen and we get discouraged and getting discouraged, we quit tending to what we have sown. You see, that's what makes a good farmer. He doesn't only sow, but he goes behind what he sowed and he takes great care of what's in the ground before it ever comes up. You pray, spray pesticides, you pick the weeds, you go out and till the garden. You, you're, you're making sure all that you've sown will come to fruition, correct? And so there's that moment, it happens. But there's other moments, it takes a long time with a lot of work and a lot of heartbreak and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears and a lot of breaking your back. I just wonder for us, have we stopped sowing with tears because we've become discouraged? Because we've sown and we've seen nothing. And I, I did that two years ago. I've been praying for my boy for five years and I see nothing. Man, I've been praying for my mom. I've been praying for my dad. I've been praying that God would heal them of cancer. And nothing. In our discouragement, we quit sowing. And what does the psalmist say? He comes to this place of realization. Hey, like those who sow with tears will what? Reap. There is a promise there. But I wonder for us, church, have we quit sowing? Have we quit sowing? Jared, don't ever give up on sowing. You keep sowing, man. You keep on sowing. Michael, you keep on sowing. Frank, you keep on sowing. Lynn, you keep on sowing. Whatever it is in your heart in this moment that you've been crying out for God for years and years, you keep on, you keep on, you keep on. Church, let us keep on sowing for our community. Let's keep on sowing. There's so many lost people within two miles of this place, and we could come each week and think, oh, he's not doing anything. He's not doing anything. We've been praying, we've been praying, and nothing. But let's look at last week. Let's look at VBS. Let's look at what God did through our sowing. Don't give up on sowing. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You keep casting the seed over and over and over and over. And you keep tending to what you sowed. You keep watering. But the promise comes from God. God does the rest. But we must stay faithful to God calling us to sow. 
if it's your child that's wayward, you keep on sowing. You be like the dad, the prodigal, the father of the prodigal. You keep going to the front porch. You keep looking out over the, the horizon to wait for your boy or your girl to return. If it's your mom, you keep on sowing. Don't give up, church. Don't let us ever give up on sowing because what does God say in the text? God says this in the text. Those who sow with, she- with tears shall reap with shouts of joy. You, that's a promise, church. That's not it might happen, church. That is a promise from God. If we keep on sowing, we keep on sowing. There will be a moment that we come before the Lord with shouts of joy because we reap what God has grown we've done nothing but sow and be faithful to him let him do the rest church you see here's what one writer said about the reaping and the sowing so here's the lesson when there are simply straightforward jobs to be done there is a straightforward job for us church to be done is take the gospel to every man, woman, and child within a five-mile radius of this church. There is a job to be done. Do we all say amen to that? We all have a job to get done. You shall, and you are full of sadness, and the tears are flowing easily. Go ahead and do the job with tears. Be, be realistic. Say to your tears, tears, I feel you. You make me want to quit life. But there is a field to be sown, dishes to be washed, cars to be fixed, a sermon to be written. There is a job that must get done. And so I'll cry with all my heart, but I'll continue to sow in the tears because the harvest is coming. Amen, church? But it's going to go back to, do you remember when the harvest was sown in your life and God drew you to himself? You see, that's what the psalmist is talking about. I remember when you set us free. And they had been praying and praying. You read Nehemiah. You read Ezra. You read Habakkuk. The prophets had been praying that the people of God, you read Daniel, that the people would be set free. And they had sown and they had sown and they had sown and they had sown. I wonder each morning when they woke up, oh, not today. It didn't happen today. And then that one moment when they woke up and they saw the gates wide open so they could be set free. That happened in your life. That happened in your life, in your life. There was a moment where the gates of hell flung open and you ran out of them because God had opened the gates and set you free. And if it can happen to you, it can happen to anyone. Amen? We keep on sowing, church. Here's what else this psalm does for us it reminds us of the one that this psalm is really all about the gospel jesus that's the psalm oh jesus you set me free oh jesus you are going to bring fortunes to me and oh i'll have shouts of joy because of you 
And we go back and we look at Jesus and all the ways that Jesus sowed with tears. Did he not? Remember in Luke chapter 19, he goes up just moments before, days before he's going to go to the cross. He goes out and he overlooks this lost city. The city that he went to, the city that he proclaimed the truth, the city that he set people free, the city that he raised people from the dead. (coughs) And he goes over that city and he weeps over the city. Of all the places that he had sown, and he just weeps over the city. You talk about a man who sowed with tears. There's no greater example. What did Jesus do in the garden? He sowed with tears. <clears throat> Remember, it says in Luke 22, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood. He cried for the people to be set free. You see, I think to myself, of all the people that sowed the gospel, no more than Jesus Christ, And yet Jesus, on his way all the way to Calvary, when he hung on Calvary, he knew people would despise him and reject him. And yet he kept on sowing. He knew that you'd reject him. He knew that you'd blaspheme him. And yet he still died for you and set still in your sin. While we were yet enemies of the cross, Paul tells us, he redeemed you and set you free. You see, Jesus knew what it meant to sow with tears and he knew what it meant to reap the harvest church my prayer is this this morning is that we close and we come to the lord's table to the lord's supper that this morning before we ever take the the the, the juice of the bread that you will reflect man when did he redeem you bj when did he set you free paul when did he come into your life and pull you out of darkness and out of hell Larry, when did he, in his sovereignty, choose you? Miss Cindy, when did he choose you? Bunny, when did he choose you? If you're a believer here this morning, we all ought to leave here with shouts of joy and praise. Because without him, we are doomed to hell forever and ever and ever. If there's nothing else on the planet to have joy over, it is your salvation, church. And as you come to the table this morning, and we pass out the bread, and we pass out the juice, please, please be reminded and remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he set the captives free. Let us keep on sowing, church. Let us keep on sowing. God, I pray for us as a church this morning. Let us keep on. Let's keep on sowing, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for the moms and dads in here that have been praying for their wayward child to come home. God, I pray that you give them the strength. And you, as us, the church, we'd rally around them. That when their arms are tired of casting, that we help them cast that seed, God. For the marriages that may need restoration, God, we pray for them. We sow that, God. We cry out to you to do something in the marriages, God. God, we pray for our community that are lost 
and they desperately need you. I pray that you would allow us to sow the gospel into the hearts of lost people. Wherever we go, God, let's keep on sowing. Let's keep on sowing. God used last week at VBS as a reminder. You are not done. You are not done, God. You are not done. God, I pray as we come to your table, we take of this bread and we take of this juice, that God, in this moment, however you see fit to do, God, you'd restore unto us the joy of your salvation. While we were dead in our trespasses and our sin, you made us alive. Christ Jesus, you made us alive. You are good, good God. You are faithful to God. You are merciful and just. salvation.